Hello everyone, in today's video we're going to be doing something a little bit different. We're going to be joined by my longtime friend Kirsty Skye to present today's case. We've actually filmed another case over on her channel which will be up now, so make sure you jump over to her channel after you've watched this video and subscribe to her, give us some love and check it out. Hi, I'm Kirsty Skye. I am also, like Josh, a true crime YouTuber. I've been posting content for about three years now. I cover cases such as murder mysteries, missing people and John and Jane Doe's. Um, I've known Josh for quite a long time and I'm stoked to be collabing with him on his channel once again. It's been quite a long time so I'm really stoked to be um, on here again. Well, if you want to check out more true crime, me and Josh have also done a collaboration over on my channel. There will be a link in the description to my channel so please come over, have a watch and don't forget to subscribe. And with all that being said, let's delve into the case of Malcolm Webster. People say Ted Bundy didn't show any emotion. I showed emotion. The following episode is not suitable for those under the age of 13. Viewer discretion and parental guidance is advised. Before we delve into this case, I would like to thank Switchcraft for sponsoring this episode. Switchcraft is a gripping multi-level game which had me pulled in from the first time that I played it. In the game, you take on the role of Bailey, a young witch studying at Pendle Hill School, which just so happens to be the world's top academy of witchcraft. You journey through the thousands of levels, trying to solve the disappearance of your best friend, Lydia. The only way to save her is by using your incredible Match 3 skills to help solve the mysteries surrounding the disappearance. My favourite part of playing this game is definitely the storyline. I love that how you choose to play the game dictates the way that the story plays out and how it unfolds. It's truly putting you in the driver's seat. Switchcraft gives you a completely unique and quirky graphic novel style, showing you beautifully crafted characters such as Professor Shirazi, Rosie and Dylan and many, many more. Alongside the incredibly addictive levels you play through, Switchcraft utilises well-drawn background locations and dynamic gameplay, which truly make you feel immersed in the game. With thousands of levels to play through and over 85 unique and diverse characters to meet, you'll never get bored of this stunning game. Make sure you download Switchcraft for free today using the link down below at the top of the description or the link in the pinned comments and unlock the magical mystery that awaits you. Now, back to the case. Friday the 27th of May 1994, Aberdeenshire, Scotland. A typical cloudy Scottish day which began like normal in the Webster home. Claire and her husband Malcolm, both dedicated nurses, took a drive into the city that evening to drop off some paperwork. The rural roads that made up the majority of this journey were the picture of Scottish Highland, wild and beautiful. Malcolm and Claire had been married for eight months, and they were blissfully living their lives. Unfortunately for this couple, though, this Friday drive would end in the worst way possible. 
Claire Jennifer Morris was born on the 26th of December 1962. She was originally from Aberdeenshire in Scotland, where she lived with her parents and her brother Peter. They were a happy young family who loved going on adventures together. The siblings were good friends and loved each other very much. Unfortunately for the family, they lost their father while Claire and Peter were still small children. Ultimately, this pulled the Morris family together in a time of grief, and both Claire and her brother continued their close relationship as they grew up, even with the typical sibling squabbles that occurred. Despite this loss at a young age, Claire was a happy and loving person. She had a green thumb and enjoyed gardening, as well as helping her mother around the house. Claire grew up surrounded by support and was admired by her friends for her hardworking and practical personality. She always did well in school and had her heart set on working within the medical field, ideally as a nurse. Eventually leaving Aberdeenshire, Claire moved to Dulwich, London, where she lived with a group of friends. This move was so that she could focus on her studies to become a registered nurse. This career was something that her family encouraged her to do and were very proud of what she was wanting to pursue. While working on her course, Claire, as any student would, went out to parties with her friends and enjoyed herself while drinking and dancing the night away. It was at one of these parties where Claire Morris met the man she would ultimately marry. The man in question was Malcolm Webster. Malcolm Webster was born on the 18th of April 1959 in Guildford, Surrey, to parents Robert and Odette Webster. He had two siblings, an older brother called Ian, as well as a twin sister called Caroline. As a child, he was very outgoing and attention-seeking. He always needed to be the centre of attention. He was known by his school friends as Pyro, as he had an obsession with flames and burning things. He also had a habit of faking illness, pretending to faint, having epilepsy, and he even told people that he had a brain tumour. According to his family, they believed this was just another way that he was attention-seeking, and it wasn't serious. Malcolm was not academically inclined and after leaving school with no qualifications, he also struggled with finding a job. His father wanted him to follow in his footsteps in joining the police force where he worked as a detective, but Malcolm had other plans. Instead, Malcolm decided he wanted to be like his mother and become a nurse, which his family believed would be a good fit for him. This brings us back to the party, where Claire and Malcolm met. The pair were seen together at this party and the very next day he turned up on her doorstep with flowers and gifts. This was the start of a blossoming relationship, which Claire was thrilled about. She would regularly gush about Malcolm to her mother and her brother, telling them all about things that they got up to and things he bought for her. Her brother was very happy to hear this as she'd been very focused on her education and hearing her happy with this man also made him happy. Her mother, on the other hand, was unsure about Malcolm, feeling like something was off with him and she believed that Claire had become more withdrawn since she met him. Despite the hesitance from Claire's mother, Claire continued her relationship with Malcolm. 
Claire and Malcolm stayed together all throughout their studies and were a very happy couple. Their friends were very happy to see the pair going from strength to strength within their relationship, and eventually Claire's mother even recognised how happy Malcolm had made Claire. After being together for two years, Malcolm persuaded Claire to update her will so that he was included. This updated will ended up making him the sole beneficiary to everything that she owned. Later that year, Claire and Malcolm were engaged, which thrilled everyone who knew the couple. The pair got married on Friday the 3rd of September 1993 at King's College Chapel in Aberdeen. The wedding was a joyous occasion filled with friends and family, where everyone was in high spirits. It was a traditional Scottish wedding, and after the ceremony, the party began. After being married for just a few months, the couple were still living in bliss. Happy and content in their marriage, the pair moved to Aberdeen after they both found work there. They found a quaint little home to make their own, and they moved into East Catty Cottage in Tarve, Aberdeenshire. Leaving her family and friends in London, Claire and Malcolm's move seemed like a good choice. Claire's brother Peter believed that this move was a natural progression in their relationship. Claire would be moving back to an area that she was familiar with, having grown up in the area, and she was always happy living in the area as a child and as a teenager. After settling into their new home, the pair started their new jobs. They worked together at Kingseat Hospital, where Malcolm worked as a project nurse manager, and Claire as a staff nurse. After living in Scotland for a few months, Malcolm started urging Claire to take out life insurance. In the end, the pair did both end up taking three different life insurance policies out on Claire. These policies included mortgage protection, capital repayments, and life insurance. Despite all these suspicious changes, including the updated will and insurance policies, no one batted an eye. Even when Claire's health started to deteriorate, no one seemed to think anything was off. All anybody could see was a happy couple going through some struggles. After two years of marriage, Claire's health took a more serious turn, and she began to be tired all the time, and eventually started experiencing blackouts. Malcolm would have friends over to the house, and mid-afternoon, Claire would be asleep on the sofa. He would just laugh it off and claim that she was working herself too hard. During this time, Malcolm had been heard talking about how easy it was for a nurse to steal controlled drugs from the hospital, which is not suspicious at all. At this point, Claire was becoming more worried about her health due to the blackouts and was planning on going to the doctors, but Malcolm was quick to downplay her symptoms. He told her that she just needed to sleep more and not to bother going to the doctors because he was a nurse and would definitely know if something was wrong with his wife, who he loved so, so much. Seems like gaslighting to me, textbook gaslighting. During this time, Claire became more and more dependent on Malcolm as she was becoming confused and often spaced out. Even with all these medical problems, the couple seemed to be as loved up as ever. They liked taking drives together in the new car that Malcolm had purchased, and Claire spoke about how calming the scenery passing by was. In April of 1994, the pair were in a car crash, where their car rolled off the road, but a large bush stopped the car from rolling further down a hill off the side of the road. Luckily, neither of them were injured in the crash, and they were able to exit the car and wait to be picked up by a rescue vehicle. When Claire told her mother about the accident, she was very concerned that the pair needed to be more careful. 
but Claire reassured her that everything was fine and her mother didn't need to worry. On the evening of Friday the 27th of May 1994, Claire and Malcolm spent their time watching the TV whilst they ate their dinner. After finishing their tea, Malcolm printed off some paperwork that he needed to drop off in the city that evening as it was required by the hospital that following morning. Whilst Malcolm was doing this, Claire spoke to her mother on the phone, having one of their regular catch-ups. When the pair had finished these things, they got themselves ready and made their way to the car. Malcolm set up the passenger seat with a cushion and a blanket, knowing that Claire was likely to fall asleep on the drive, but happy to have her company. Unfortunately for the pair, they would never reach their destination city. On their drive, the car flew off the road and crashed into a tree after trying to avoid an oncoming motorcyclist. Malcolm managed to pull himself out of the wreckage, but was unable to pull Claire out in time. The tree they had crashed into had pushed into the passenger door and he was unable to pull her unconscious body over to the driver's side in time. The car exploded in flames and unfortunately, Claire was unable to be saved. After the police arrived on the scene, they questioned Malcolm as well as some members of the general public who had stopped by to try to help. The passerbys that they talked to said that Malcolm was an emotional wreck and it had taken him a long time to even be able to form a complete sentence before starting to cry again. When he was questioned by the police, he tried his best to keep some kind of composure and the police eventually got a statement from him. Quote, if the motorcyclist had stopped, we could have got Claire out of the car. I couldn't get her out. I remember smelling smoke and petrol and another smell I can only describe as warmth. In the end, Malcolm was released from the scene and was taken to the Aberdeen Royal Infirmary. He said he was suffering from fractured ribs, a neck injury and aching muscles on his left side. Malcolm stayed in the hospital for seven days and had a myriad of tests to help determine where his pain was coming from, and these tests included a CT scan. The doctors could not find any substantial reason for these claims and eventually sent him home. After Malcolm was sent home from the hospital, the car crash was classed as a very unfortunate accident, which caused a devoted husband to lose his wife. At Claire's funeral on the 7th of June 1994, her brother Peter was struggling and eventually broke down into tears at the loss of his sister. Everyone who knew Claire and Malcolm were shocked. They couldn't believe that their beloved Claire was no longer with them. As they placed Claire into her final resting place, Peter was at the graveside next to Malcolm, who was struggling to hold himself together as tears poured down his face. Feeling his pain, as they were both grieving for Claire, Peter reached over and held onto Malcolm's hand, wanting to give him some form of comfort. Claire was buried in Tarvis Church in Aberdeenshire. After the funeral, Claire's life insurance policies paid out and Malcolm received over £200,000. He continued to live in their home in Tarvis for a few months. 
He was seen walking around the area with a cane and a neck brace, despite no diagnosed medical reason to do so. He tried to move on with his life and spent time with various lady friends, taking them out to dinner and on yacht trips. These women were people who he actually worked with in the hospital and during their relationships he would claim to be ill, faking illnesses such as leukaemia and epilepsy. He had bought himself a brand new Range Rover as well as the five berth sailing yacht which he loved to use to show off. Within six months of Claire's death, Malcolm had squandered most of the money from Claire's insurance payout. So at the beginning of 1995, he ended up packing up his life and moving to the Middle East. Malcolm found work at an IT company who supplied medical software and this was where he met Felicity Drum. Felicity and Malcolm met in May of 1996 at a leaving party that was being held for a mutual friend of theirs in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia. Felicity worked as a nurse at the King Fahd Hospital, which is a hospital that Malcolm's IT company often worked with. Felicity found Malcolm to be entertaining and attentive, and she couldn't believe her luck that someone as charming as Malcolm wanted to be with her. They dated for eight months before Malcolm proposed to Felicity in January of 1997. After a short engagement, the happy couple tied the knot on the 26th of April 1997. They got married at St Vincent's Church in Auckland, New Zealand, and they spent their honeymoon staying on Cook's Beach, on the Coromandel Peninsula. While on the honeymoon, the pair bought food to last for two days, with Felicity picking out fish and lamb chops for their dinners. On their first night, they ate the fish that Felicity had bought, and they both enjoyed a glass of wine in front of the TV before both heading off to bed. When Felicity woke up, she went down to the kitchen to make breakfast and noticed that the lamb chops for dinner that night were missing. When she asked Malcolm where the lamb chops had gone, he told her that they had eaten them for dinner the previous night. In her head, Felicity had lost an entire day. Malcolm told her that she had been quite unwell and that she had been drowsy, but he cooked them dinner before putting her back to bed to rest. Felicity couldn't believe that she had no memory of eating the lamb chops. She was very concerned that she had actually slept for 36 hours and had lost a full day with no explanation. Malcolm was very casual despite Felicity's panic and calmed her down and didn't seem concerned. After returning home from their honeymoon, Malcolm and Felicity sat down and did some admin that needed to be done now that they were married. This included Felicity changing her will to include him. About a week after they returned home, Malcolm and Felicity were in the car and after stopping at a petrol station and purchasing drinks, Felicity started feeling as though she was drunk. She started experiencing double vision. When they arrived back home from the journey, Malcolm had to support Felicity into the house as she couldn't walk on her own. She went straight to bed and ended up sleeping for 18 hours. Occurrences like this kept happening to Felicity, and she couldn't understand what was wrong with her to become so drowsy and forgetful. Two days before they had been planning to move to Scotland, Felicity went to the doctors and they took a blood test thinking that she might have an infection from her time in Saudi Arabia. When the test results came back, they found that Felicity had problems with her liver and her symptoms were similar to those who had their drink spikes with a date rape drug. Felicity and Malcolm moved back into Malcolm's home that he had shared with Claire. 
The couple lived happily in this home, and while Felicity seemed to struggle with some health issues, the newlyweds seemed to still be happy. In September of 1997, the home that Felicity and Malcolm were living in caught on fire and damaged the interior of the home. Luckily, neither Felicity or Malcolm were injured in the blaze, and Malcolm was quick to talk to the people who dealt with his home insurance. The insurance company ended up paying out £68,000 to Malcolm for the damages. Whilst living in Scotland, Felicity found out that she was pregnant and believed that this was the cause of the drowsiness problems that she had been experiencing. Throughout the pregnancy, she continued to deal with these problems, but she just put them down to the pregnancy being difficult. In May 1998, Felicity and Malcolm welcomed a son into the world, who they named Edward. After his birth, the Webster family packed up their home in Aberdeenshire and moved most of their belongings into storage in preparation for their move to New Zealand. On the 15th of November 1998, Malcolm was granted a six-month visa to enter New Zealand and with this, he, Felicity and their young child packed up and moved. The Webster family didn't have a home of their own in New Zealand, so they ended up moving in with Felicity's parents until they found a home of their own. Whilst staying there, Malcolm applied to the High Commission for permanent residence. He was relying on his clean criminal record, his nursing, as well as his marriage to Felicity. Eventually, the family found a house that they loved and Felicity agreed to pay in her life savings to help pay for the house. Malcolm said that he would pay the rest of the money after the sale of the house in Scotland finalised. So until that time, Felicity's father agreed to loan them the rest of the money they needed. This house purchase ended up taking longer than they would have liked. So Felicity, Malcolm and their son Edward ended up staying with Felicity's parents for longer than they anticipated. In the early hours of the 10th of February 1999, Felicity's parents' house caught on fire from an armchair. Luckily for everyone in the house, Felicity woke up and managed to alert everyone by shouting fire. Felicity's dad ran downstairs with Malcolm and started trying to put out the fire while Felicity, her mother and Edward escaped the house to their neighbours. Felicity's dad and Malcolm did manage to put out the fire, though the property suffered from lots of fire damage. Two days later, on the 12th of February 1999, Felicity and Malcolm travelled to the bank in order to finalise the payments needed for their home purchase. On this drive to the bank, Malcolm said that there was a problem with the car's steering and swerved across multiple lanes before driving the car into a ditch. While trying to get their bearings, Malcolm told Felicity to stay in the car to stay safe while he went around the back of the car to see the damage. Before Malcolm could start looking around the car, the police arrived on the scene and started to question both Malcolm and Felicity on what had happened. Malcolm told the police and paramedics who had arrived on the scene that he was having a heart attack, so they took him to the hospital. Felicity went with Malcolm to the hospital and asked her sister to go and get the car back from the garage that the police had taken it to. While at the garage, the mechanic fixing the car told Felicity's sister that there was nothing wrong with the steering on the vehicle. He also told her about the petrol and lighter that he had found in the boot of the car. 
This caused alarm bells to go off in Felicity's sister's head, as no one in the family smokes, and everyone knows how dangerous it is to drive around with canisters of petrol in the boot of your car. Despite this suspicion from her sister, life seemed to carry on for the Websters. Malcolm was released from hospital after a week-long stay. It's important to note that during that stay, no major health problems were found to be wrong with him. And following this hospital stay, Malcolm decided that he and Felicity and Edward needed to spend some quality time together as a family. The couple drove out to Kaipera Harbour to have a picnic, but when they arrived, Malcolm felt that it was too busy, so he continued driving, trying to find somewhere else to eat. After stopping in a town called Helensville, Malcolm decided that he wanted to stop and get some more things for the picnic. When he returned to the car, he told Felicity that he had found a lake nearby, which would be perfect for them. He climbed back in the car and passed Felicity a water bottle that he had bought within the store. The next memory Felicity had was waking up in the passenger seat of the parked car to the ringing of her phone. Malcolm and Edward were no longer in the car and it seemed dark due to the dense cover that the tree canopy above had provided. As Felicity slowly woke from her sleep, she answered the phone to her father's voice, quickly speaking to her. Quote, Wherever you are, you have to come home right now. It doesn't matter what Malcolm says, you have to get back immediately. Concerned for her family, Felicity looked around the area they were parked in and spotted Malcolm with Edward in the pushchair moving away from the clearing. Calling out to Malcolm, he seemed to jump in fright before asking Felicity why she was awake. Malcolm tried to tell her to go back to sleep whilst he took Edward for a stroll, but Felicity was too worried about her family and forced Malcolm to drive them back home. When they returned to her parents' house, Malcolm told Felicity that her dad was going to tell her a lot of lies about him and not to believe him. After telling Felicity this, he let her and Edward out of the car before driving away. Confused, Felicity walked into her parents' house with Edward and asked her father what was going on. Her dad told her that the bank had notified him that when he was planning to deposit his part of the house loan into their account, the account had actually been emptied. There was no money left in any of the accounts that Felicity had access to. Around 200,000 New Zealand dollars of Felicity's money was gone. After hearing about this, Felicity's parents decided to do some digging and ended up uncovering forged life insurance documents amounting to over £500,000 in the event of Felicity's death. They also discovered a property in Cornwall that Malcolm was in the process of buying. Upset and very confused at how her previously very loving husband had run off with all of her money and no regards for her or her child, Felicity tried to get answers. Agreeing to meet, Malcolm and Felicity met in a supermarket car park where she demanded answers from him and accused him of planning to kill her in the forest previous day. All Malcolm said to this statement was, you would have died happy. When he asked Felicity for his passport, she refused as she knew he was planning on skipping town. Felicity left Malcolm then and drove straight to the police station and gave a seven hour statement. 
This statement spoke all about her strange health scares as well as the car crashes, the petrol and lighter found in the car as well as her suspicions that he had killed his previous wife Claire Morris. After this statement was given, Felicity underwent a toxicology test which revealed that she had clonazepam in her system which is a class C drug which is used to control epileptic seizures as well as panic disorders. Despite all of this evidence piling up against Malcolm, he managed to flee from New Zealand back to the UK without any problems. On the 13th of July in the year 2000, the New Zealand police confirmed that Malcolm was the subject of four different warrants for his failure to appear in court. These warrants were two counts of arson, one count of giving or administering drugs to his wife, and the final count was for disabling or stupefying his wife. The police alerted Interpol and immigration authorities of these charges, as well as the warrants for his arrest. Along with these, the New Zealand police also got in contact with the police in Aberdeen to alert them of the similarities between Claire Morris's death and the attempts made on Felicity's life. Somehow, Malcolm managed to evade the police and continue living his life in the UK. He again fell into the same habits of getting women to sympathise with him based off the illness he decided to make up that day, and this included telling people that he had leukaemia again, which he backed up by completely shaving his head and eyebrows to really sell the act. While carrying on with this charade of being ill with leukaemia, Malcolm met Simone Benaji. Simone was a nurse at the hospital that Malcolm was going to for his quote-unquote chemotherapy appointments. And she found him to be a kind and understanding man who needed somebody to help care for him. As anybody would when trying to scam multiple women, Malcolm never told Simone that he was still married. He carried on the charade for months and continued to get close to Simone. Eventually, they were close enough that Simone even asked him to move in with her, believing that he was the perfect man for her. When the pair were able to, they loved to go out on the boat that Simone owned. They both enjoyed the freedom it gave them and loved that it was something that they could enjoy together. On the 26th of August 2006, Malcolm had gathered enough money up so that he could put a deposit down on a platinum and diamond wedding ring, and in September 2006, he proposed to Simone. Despite 12 years passing after Claire's death, the Scottish police still had Malcolm on their radar, but they didn't have sufficient evidence to arrest him. Luckily, a turn of fate came into play, which changed the course of this case. While at a police conference in England, Felicity's sister met a superintendent who was familiar with the death of Claire Morris, and when they got to talking, they could both see the similarities between the death of Malcolm's previous wife and the attempted murder of Felicity. From this conversation, they took a statement from Felicity's sister and got in touch with the police in Scotland, who, now with this statement, decided to look further into Claire's death. Finally, 12 years later, Malcolm's web of lies and deceit was unravelling. Needing more hard evidence before the police could confront Malcolm, they decided to look into the evidence from Claire's death. The piece of evidence that sealed Malcolm's fate was a piece of Claire's liver, which had been kept all these years from her post-mortem. With the advancement of science, police were now able to conduct a more thorough toxicology report, and they found traces of temazepam in her tissue. This proved that Claire had a sedative in her system when she died, which gave the police enough evidence to link Claire's 
Taylor's death with the attempted murder of Felicity. Knowing that there was now a chance for justice to be carried out, the police knew that they had to act fast. Simone was issued an Osman letter which warned her that they believed she was in danger from Malcolm and that there was evidence that Malcolm was a killer. Simone was very shocked by this letter and couldn't put together in her head the man that she knew and was engaged to could be the same man that the police had written about in the letter. In disbelief, Simone decided to confront Malcolm about the letter and he became panicked. Malcolm and Simone were about to set off on a trip in their boat to the Cayman Islands, which would leave them in a place that the police would not be able to reach them for a long time. With a time crunch, police began looking into the case files they had from Claire's death. They started to realise that things didn't quite add up. If Malcolm crashed the car due to swerving to miss a motorbike, why were there no skid marks on the road? Why did he tell multiple people that there was no one in the car with him when Claire was in there with him? How was there very little damage inflicted on the car despite the story that Malcolm had told about a fairly high speed crash? All of these points were able to disprove the elaborate story that Malcolm had given to police at the time. All of this evidence mounting against him and now the distrust from Simone made Malcolm decide to flee again. Malcolm ran to Surrey and lay low for a while but eventually he was found and in February 2009 he was arrested. Finally, on the 19th of May 2011, Malcolm Webster was found guilty and charged with the murder of Claire Morris and the attempted murder of Felicity Drum. During the trial, a crash reconstruction expert told the court of how he believed that it was highly unlikely that the crash that killed Claire was staged. Quote, it is highly likely that the vehicle was steered down the slope into the wooded area from a relatively low speed. Accordingly, the physical evidence fits entirely with the contention that this was a staged event. It is highly unlikely that the vehicle entered the wooded area as a result of a high-speed veer. That is to say that this physical evidence does not support any interpretation of the version of events given by Mr. Webster. They also said how if she was conscious, there would have been nothing to physically prevent Claire from getting herself out of the vehicle. It also came out in the trial that the boat that Simone and Malcolm frequented had life jackets that the pair would use, and the jacket that Simone used had been compromised. This showed the courts that he was again trying to kill. By the end of the trial, it took the jury less than four hours to find Malcolm Webster guilty. Malcolm, after 12 years of gaslighting, scamming and killing women, had finally been put behind bars, giving closure to all families affected. The worst part about this case, I find, is the trauma that the Morris family has had to endure. It took years for Malcolm to be brought to justice for what he had done to Claire, and even after everything he put that family through, he still wasn't finished. You see, Malcolm had bought the plots next to Claire in the churchyard and had made plans in his will so that he would be buried right next to her, right next to Claire's grave. He also stopped the family from removing her original gravestone to replace it with a stone which didn't call her Claire Webster, beloved wife. The family wanted to memorialise her as Claire Morris, who was loved by her friends and family. Even after everything, he couldn't leave the Morris family in peace. 
Years after Claire's death, they had to first fight against Malcolm in court, then fight against his morbid need to keep a hold over Claire. Thankfully for the Morris family, due to the court ruling of guilty, Malcolm forfeited his rights to the plot and her gravesite. This meant that the upkeep of the site would be passed to a trustee, which allowed the family to finally commemorate Claire in a respectful way. In regards to this case, uh, I'm just glad that Malcolm was finally caught out. I think the fact that he managed to get caught before he hurt someone else um, was brilliant detective work by law enforcement. I'm just glad that he went behind bars and that the women got justice um, for the pain and the suffering that he put them through. And hopefully, you know, having that justice helps give the family some sort of closure. And that is everything that we have for you in today's case. Make sure you subscribe to this channel and hit that bell icon so you can be notified every single time I post a brand new true crime video just like this one. Make sure you jump over to Kirsty's channel and check out the case that we've covered over there. You'll find a link down below and a link in the pinned comments. And with all that being said, I'll see you in the next case. Do you want more Joshua Miles content? Do you want to hang out with me live, play chill games and discuss true crime with me? Then guess what? You can. Just jump over to twitch.tv forward slash Josh Miles and hit that cheeky little follow button where I stream every Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Sundays at 9pm UK time. We hang out on stream whenever a new true crime video goes live where we'll talk about the case that's in the new video and just kind of hang out. It's like Joshua Miles after hours. Follow me on Twitch. You can join our little community for free. You can find a link at the top of the description and in the pinned comments. A special thank you to all of my Patreon members for helping keep this channel afloat, but especially thank you to my lead investigators for all of your support. If you'd like to support this channel for less than $5 a month, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash it's Joshua Miles. For less than $5 a month, you'll get early access to videos and access to scripts and also polls on cases. If you or someone you know has been affected by issues covered in our programming, including this episode, then please use the link in the description for information, advice and support.